0: When you're in it, it's it's funny, it I suppose it feels normal. It feels like that's you know how it's supposed to be. Hopefully that doesn't come across as, as something arrogant. I I felt we had a great product and if we could tell our story and get out there and make, you know, products that we really believed in, slowly, bit by bit, you know, people would come and we'd be able to, you know, start building something. And thankfully, you know, we're still alive.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm your host, Stephen Pulverin, and this is Hodinkee Radio. Our guest this week is an old friend of mine, somebody I've known for over a decade. His name's Michael Hill, and he's the creative director of Drake's, the London-based haberdasher, tie-maker, and tailor. Uh, Michael's actually the very first person we collaborated with on a product here at Hodinkee way back in 2012, And he's someone whose own business has kind of grown alongside ours. It's been really great to watch him take Drake's from being really a tie and scarf maker to being sort of a global fashion brand. He's got an amazing eye for color, amazing taste, and he's also an awesome guy. I was really excited to sit down and talk with him about some of Drake's latest collaborations, their move to Savile Row, and why he still pairs his clothes with colorful swatches. It's a super fun conversation and one that I've been wanting to have for a long time. But first, I sat down with James and Ben to talk about some highlights from the site recently. Uh, We talked about Ben's talking watches with Reza Ali Rashidian, who has probably the world's finest collection of dive watches. We talked about a trio of incredibly rare Longa ones coming up for auction. We talked about Fitbit's sale to Google and a couple of other things. You'll have to listen to get the full story. So without further ado, my conversation with Ben and James. This week's episode is presented by Tag Heuer. Stay tuned later in the show to learn about the iconic Monaco celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. For more, visit TagHeuer.com. All right, Jens, Good
2: to see you. Hey, how's it going? Hey, James. Hey.
1: James in from Toronto. Yeah. I'm about to go to Geneva. You off anywhere, Ben?
2: Uh, I go to Paris next week, oh, nice. uh, and then shortly after that, Japan.
1: Oh yeah, we're yeah. doing Japan.
2: We're doing Japan pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, we're going to record something out there, so people are, are going to hear a little bit from us about uh, hodinki.jp in yeah.
2: Japanese, though, right? In
1: Japanese, yeah. I mean, right. you both speak Japanese fluently, and yeah. you too, right? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah of yeah. course, James. No, no. no. Okay, no. All right. you speak
2: Canadian here and there. Okay. <laughs>
1: Here and there, the most Canadian answer to that question. <laughs>
2: if you uh, need me to, <laughs> sure.
1: While we're all in the same place, I thought it'd be fun to get us together and do a little, uh, a little chat about some stories that have been on the site recently. We've had some some pretty exciting news, uh, sure. Some pretty crazy deep dive stories. So let's let's actually start with one of those. Uh, ben, uh, you published recently talking watches with Reza Ali Rashidian.
2: Yeah, I did.
1: That's a hell of a story.
2: That was a hell of a story. Uh, Reza for for those who who don't know kind of run runs in the same circle as like a John Goldberger or uh, Alfredo Paramico. I mean, he's really considered, you know, an elite collector, part of, you know, good friends with Box and John Reardon and and all the guys that are kind of, you know, at the the higher echelons of the collecting world. He's a bit more under the radar. You know, he uh lives uh, you know, outside of kind of central European capitals, et etc. And he um you Know for the longest time, really didn't talk about his collection at all, and he was kind of an unknown quantity. He kind of opened himself up in the past few years. He did a book with John Goldberger and Daniel Bourne uh, called Into the Deep, Into the deep. It, Into the yeah. deep, which we carry in the shop. I think we're actually the only people that carry that book in the United States. Uh, it is only his collection, which is pretty wild. It's about 200 pages, and we're talking, you know, 100 plus. Vintage Rolex dive watches. This book is only Rolex dive watches, uh, and he's he's kind of the dive collector, uh, you know. And he has, as I, as we saw in the video, Deep Sea Special Number One, which is so dope. It's insane. That watch I mean, is incredible. That's, that's really, and you know, he made a lot of really good points in that story, and I tried to get that across in the video, but I'm not sure it really made it through. You know, I'm a Daytona guy. I'm a Submariner guy. I, I like I like all vintage Rolexes basically, and he and I was like, you know, why did you go towards sea dwellers? Like, not even Submariners, but like the Biggest, baddest motherfucking Rolex dive watches you can imagine. He's just like, I care about competition grade cars. I want basically, basically the equivalent of that in a watch. Like that to him is the sea dweller. Like he wants the watch that went the deepest. You know, the earliest, et cetera. And he's just like, you know, to me, a Daytona is was worn by the guy on the sidelines. You know, you know, he was basically the guy that was timing the guy who was actually racing this, who wore the Daytona, which is somewhat accurate. There were obviously drivers that wore it as well. Um, but he made a lot of sense. And he's like, you know, he used to race competition Ferraris and things like that. Yeah. Um, and so it, it made sense when you start to understand who Reza is. That like he just wants like the most technically proficient tools available. And then the other thing that was kind of shocking to me, even though I already knew it, I never really processed that, like, that deep-sea special was made in 1953. Yeah. Like, I mean, that came out basically before or at the same time as the earliest Submariner. So Rolex had that technology in 1953, which is downright crazy.
1: Yeah. It's also crazy to think, like, what was the world doing in 1953? Like, Europe was rebuilding. Correct. Like, Europe Europe was in shambles in 1953. Yeah. And they were making things like this. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: It's no, a crazy thing. It it, it really is. And that, that watch in particular, the fact that it's number one. I mean, to have a deep sea special at all is crazy. But to have number one, I mean, this is Rolex's first prototype mega dive watcher watch ever, uh, is is pretty wild. I mean, it's earlier than the watch that actually was you know, successful in going to the Mariana trench. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you think, James, when you saw this thing?
3: I think it's a crazy thing. I think it's remarkable that it's not just in a drawer somewhere Mm. deep under Rolex's headquarters. And like the fact that not only did we get to see it, but uh, Reza was kind enough to allow us to film it and share it with the world and like create this thing. Especially because like you said, he's kind of a low-key dude about his collection or at least has been. Yeah. Historically, he was on our dive watch panel at H10. Right. And like I met him five minutes before that panel, and he's like the sweetest oh, guy. That's amazing. He's uh, really well spoken. He knows, obviously, he knows all of it. So he can talk at any level. He was able to talk at a panel level, which mm-hmm. is kind of a weird ask of an expert to right. kind of bring it to a level that anyone would appreciate and i i think he, it was fantastic and I, I love the video i've watched it a couple times and, and to see that one along with a couple of the other pieces and then the one that he says that he wears the most often it is they're, they're the, just wild watches. yeah the iranian milsub. Yeah, yeah so that, just like one of the coolest things ever it is. yeah and
1: can you guys talk about that for for people who haven't seen the video which will link up and you should definitely go watch
3: yeah yeah he has this incredible and it's it's uh he has this incredible iranian mill sub which is uh believed to be a one-of-one Something I, or, or for the
2: only one we know. Yeah. For sure, yeah.
3: Uh, and, and it's just, you know, it has the, the crest on it. And otherwise it's this like really badass tool watch. Like it's just the, like a the, it's that purely distilled like uh, early Submariner. Yeah. Uh, and then to have the the you know credibility to to tie back to being that rare is really cool.
2: Yeah, and I think you know a lot of the comments were like, oh, he's only a Rolex guy. That, that's actually not true. So he actually he's got a Doxa collection. He's got an Omega collection. He has all these other kind of subcategories of dive watches in his collection. He just chose to go with this because in many ways, you know, the Sea Dweller is kind of the archetype of of the dive watch. Uh, but I mean, he is a lover of of all dive watches, which is pretty neat. And I think you know at, at some point. If we can, you know, down the road, probably no time soon, we'll we'll kind of cycle back and do another talking watches with maybe some of the more obscure stuff. Because, I mean, he's got some crazy doxas and like SEMAs and just like weird things that that most people don't know about. So I think in many ways this was kind of like, much in the same way that like the John Mayer video, number one, was like, this is pretty basic level stuff like here's a 5970 here's a 6263 and then in episode two we were like all right like here's a unique 5004 that i designed so i could see the hands on the stage you know uh, i think you know if we had the opportunity to do that again with reza it would be pretty epic for sure i agree yeah. i mean and, and any
3: any like quiet doxa collector that's a fun view like I, I find their watches to be some of the most interesting and certainly like talk about a brand that at the time when rolex would have been doing things like a seed dweller and deciding that you needed a Uh, helium escape valve for saturation diving. Docs was right next to them. They they essentially co-shared that patent or fought their way into that patent together with the earliest examples of automatic helium release valves. I mean, they were as hardcore as you could get. They Mm -hmm. obviously haven't had the same uh, legacy moving forward. The brand had more troubles than Rolex. Um, But really a a fascinating thing and just like massively cool watches. And to be fair, every brand has had more
2: trouble than Rolex. That's fair. (laughs) For sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so going the the kind of opposite direction from from this kind of collection, uh, we're going to stick with stories you've you've written, Ben. Uh, you wrote a story about these three wild Longa ones mm. that are coming up for auction. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a closed back in yellow gold. Yeah, it's honey gold and it's stainless steel. Yep. Uh, that's basically the holy trinity of of longa ones, right? In,
2: in in my eyes, I mean, there, there are other ones. There's Japanese editions. There's the one there, A. There, you know, there, there are other really special longa ones. Uh, and then of course there's longa one Turbion and you know crazy stuff. Uh, but to me, these are kind of the the purest, uh, you know, to borrow a term from James, like the purest distillation of what a longa one is. Um, they're all amazing. I've owned them all actually. Uh, I currently own one of them. And it is, you know, the, the Longa One, as I said in the story, it's like, it is a perfect watch. And like, if I, you know, was a normal kind of like, you know, executive guy in New York City and I had to like dress up every day, like I'd be wearing a Longa One every day. I would, I'd probably have like, you know, a Speedmaster and like a Longa One or a Daytona or a Submariner and a Longa One. Uh, and I think that that watch just says so much about the people that, that wear it without it being you know, kind of like front and center, basic bitch Daytona style, you know, or being really expensive. I mean, to be clear, Longa 1 is like a $30,000 watch at retail. Uh, so this is a really expensive thing, but like it is not, it is not offensive to almost anybody because it's Longa, not Patek, and certainly not Rolex or Omega. You know, it, it is really just a special thing. And I think, you know, you know, we, we talk so much on the site, or we actually don't, but you guys do, you being the commenters, about date <laughs> windows, right? I and mean, people hate date windows. The date window on the Longa 1 is amazing. You know, I mean, that I mean, is the watch. Yeah,
1: you know? the, the whole watch is designed around that. Correct. Window. Yeah,
2: and, and by the way, it's nice having a date on your watch. You know, especially yeah. a big one. You know, so it's uh, the Longa One is just such a great watch, and and those three watches in particular are really special. the The closed case back, I think, is is the sleeper hit. You know, they are so undervalued. As as, uh, as one of the younger guys in our office said to me recently, he's like, "How is basically basically the A series of the Longa One selling for a tenth the price of a steel watch or whatever?" It doesn't make sense, you know. It really doesn't. It's just that people don't really know about it. Uh, that's what the point of the story was. Was like, hey, these are really cool things. Like, you know, pay attention because like those those closed case back watches existed for like maybe a year. You know, like the one that, that, that we found in that crot sale was sold two months after Lange was revived. Like, you know, that happened on October, what, 24th or 25th? Yeah, something like this that. This watch was sold in December of the same year. You know what I mean? Like this watch was like, it had just come out. It's like case number 46 or something. It's like a really early watch. And I think that is really compelling, especially when you look at like how popular like first series Royal Oaks are and, and Nautilus yeah. and Daytonas and subs. Uh, so that watch, you know, if that sells, you know, south of $20,000, which I don't think it will, but it has in the past. It's just a, a screaming bargain. You buying one, James? I, I mean, the, the
3: I feel like the last thing I sat in on was those 10 watches that changed the watches that people wear on their wrist. The, yeah. uh, and, and we talked about the long one in that. I'm not sure I can add to anything. I would absolutely adore to own one. They're all mega cool. And the three in this list are ones that are so much more nerdy for various and different reasons. Yeah. Honeygold will always be something I think is vastly cool. It's not only just the name but a yellow gold with the solid case back is yeah. like immediately. And then when I saw like the predictions 10 to 15,000 euros, I'm like, well, what, what do I have to do? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what can I jettison? You yeah. know, the bo- the boat's above water, but yeah. we could raise that line yeah. a bit, right? <laughs> I love it. I think it's. I think they're massively cool. I don't know. I I, I do question if I could pull one off. You could with how could I normally dress. Like I think some days it would work, and other days I'd have to go back to a dive watch yeah. or something. I mean, but look,
2: the, the, the I same think could just be true. For- massively cool yeah. things. The, the same could be true for me. Like on the weekends, when wearing like a sweatshirt and stuff. Like you know, it it the longer one is a little maybe dressy for that, but it is not like it, it's not a dress watch. Like it's not an ultra slim watch or anything like that. You really could wear it every day. I've worn them with T-shirts, like yeah. like polo shirts. I think shirts that's my stuff. favorite like move for a Longa one. Totally. A, I don't love the strap that this one is on. No, the none of them have good gator
3: with the on. Yeah. like really yeah. bright contrast. But on one of our like a proper kind so with, of suede yeah. down
2: key strap would yeah. be yeah, yeah for the something longa, else. I, you know, I had I had a steel Longa one for a long time, and uh, I wore that on one of our kind of like honey gray straps, and it's like it's super chill. Like, and that watch being steel, I could I could really wear it every day. Yeah, you know? yeah, uh, yeah. Longer ones are sweet. They yeah, really for awesome. sure.
1: Yeah, I think my my general inclination with things like this is to gravitate towards the steel watch. Uh, Makes sense. But in this case, I think Honey Gold's the the standout here. Well, I mean,
2: as, as somebody who at one point owned all three, I sold the other two. You know what I mean? Like I, I sold the steel watch; the price just got crazy. You know, uh, I sold the the closed case back watch just because. And the Honey Gold to me is uh, for personal reasons, and, and just like as a collector, like I bought that watch new from Longa. Yeah, they only made twenty of them. Like that is confirmed you know for wow. all we know there's a drawer full of steel longa ones somewhere like that really could be true we have no idea how many were made i don't i don't think that's true but it's possible you know for sure 20 honey gold longa ones were made in 2015 or so uh you know in, in many ways they were kind of given and i don't mean given like I, I paid for this watch you know offered to kind of friends of the brand uh and so you know there are i know you know probably where fifth of them are or fourth of them are um and they're all with like amazing people that have great stories with the brand and just on their own and I mean, that, that's a watch that's with me forever like full stop
1: Red. uh going to something about as far away from that as we can uh big piece of news that that broke this week that i want to get your guys takes on here um is actually in the smartwatch space mm. uh so google acquired fitbit
2: yeah James, you want to lead the? Uh, sure. I mean, church? I
3: I I don't know that I have like what I would consider like a special opinion about this. I have followed Fitbit since they first came out. I yeah. probably owned their first, either indirectly as in I bought them for a, a partner or or a, as gifts or something like that. But I was involved in their very earliest products when the the product was actually pretty rough around the edges and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And and I think that, I think that what I see is two things: the number, which is is a two one. Billion, yeah, yeah, 2.1 billion, 2.1 with a B. Um, a big B, like that number says that Fitbit has succeeded, and Google paying that much has says that Google failed at the same game. Interesting, that's how I see it is that Google has tried many times, both as a software developer and in some, uh, I'd have to double check this, but I want to say they did develop their own through either LG or maybe. Another uh, manufacturer, like a a Google-branded smartwatch. Yeah, Samsung. Um, Oh, it's through Samsung. Oh, that's right. right. And that was previous to the Samsung stuff going to their own OS and thus leaving Wear OS, which is... This is very complicated, and I'm also speaking sitting in an office where I'm like one of three people who don't use an iPhone mm-hmm. or have an Apple watch or have any interest the in these things. Thing, right? It's definitely the Canadian okay, thing. Yeah. We'll get to um, there. It'll be
1: okay.
3: <laughs> I started there yeah. <laughs> uh, and left many years ago. But uh, you know, these days I think that in many ways um, that whole world is really starting to divide small hairs between the, the functionality of an Apple product versus a a Samsung product versus something else. But where you get a big differentiation is the Apple Watch is vastly better than what's being offered by everyone else, with the only real exception in my mind being Garmin, who's gone in a different direction, but is making an incredibly uh, useful product, one I wear quite frequently. But it doesn't really run or care if you're on Android or Apple. So if you're, let's say, in either one of those two camps, as most people are, um, Apple is going a lot harder in terms of making a product that people want. And care about and feel something about when they put it on their wrist versus, I mean, you see it, Samsung watches, you see ones from other brands, and 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 I think that they're either an afterthought, they came with a phone, they were ninety nine dollars on Black Friday, and you needed a watch, and yep. and you know I, I think there's there's a there's a passive nature to the way that people are buying some of these products that yep. that doesn't exist for Apple, and I think that this is
2: Google saying we need to try and catch up. Yeah, yeah, I I, I would. I would take a slightly different kind of you know viewpoint of of the the success of Fitbit because they went public, what, like a year and a half ago, two years ago. Yeah, they were a publicly traded company. They were up until the point that Google, they still are today, obviously, as as Google is acquiring them. But I believe they went public at like a vastly higher share price than this, like significantly higher. Like people thought this was going to be like an Apple or Google or something like that. And so I think in many ways, and again, I don't know this at all. It feels like this is kind of like. We're cutting our losses. We're out. Oh, you know okay. what I mean. Well, um, and after this, I can tell you some backstory on that. But uh, you know, so th- they're definitely That's the secret
1: subscriber exactly, only podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: Only it's there are two subscribers: James and Steve. Um, <laughs> Platinum, platinum level. Exa- platinum you know. edition. Hit, yeah, you need exactly. status. Platinum level, Houdinki. Uh, so, you know, in many ways, I think they're like, hey, like, you know, this has not been going that great for us since we went public. And, you know, I mean, the, the public markets have really been hard on companies recently. I mean, in many cases, warranted, WeWork, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, th- I think the public markets have been exceptionally hard on Fit- on Fitbit. And so when they got this offer from an amazing acquirer, like, you know, one of the best companies in the world, they're like, "Hey, we'll take it. We're out." You know, yeah. Um and I think you're you're are, you're dead on in that Google. Like, they they kind of have to play ball here. You know, I mean, yeah. the the Apple product which I'm wearing right now is, as James said, just so. I it's, mean, it's it's vastly it's superior, incomparable. Yeah, it, it's not they're not making the same thing. Nope. You know, uh, and I think that that that's just not good for markets in general. Nope. You yeah. had to have one group that's making something that is that much better.
1: Yeah, I mean, so Joe Joe wrote our story about this, and we'll we'll link it up. But there's. There's two numbers in this story that that really kind of surprise me. Uh, one is Fitbit is the second largest smartwatch producer in the world and makes less than a quarter of the number of units than Apple. Right. So yep. they're number two, making less than twenty five percent the number of product. Right. Like that's that's a huge market disparity. Also,
2: probably much lower prices, right, than the yeah, Apple Watch.
1: The average price is much lower. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing that shocked me is of the top five smartwatch producers in the world. Only one of them, which is number five, which is Fossil, uses Wear OS. Mm. So Fitbit and Google both have problems here. And it seems like by joining forces, maybe they can start to solve them. I mean, Google has the software, but nobody who's making smartwatches at any volume is using it. And Fitbit is number two, but not nearly close enough to number one. Yeah. Maybe they can they can kind of help each other close that gap.
2: Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, like Google's strength has never been hardware. I mean, the exception being Nest, but they acquired yeah. that, you know, from from our friend Tony. Yeah, and it's uh, and you know, it's one of those things where like it's just not in their DNA. I mean, like Apple is hardware. It's software too, but yeah. it's primarily hardware. Like these are beautiful things, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. It's also and, super hard for
3: for Google to. They, they try and play on Apple's field and and this is coming from like I adore Apple some of Apple's products. I don't care about the rest. but you there's no way that you can look at the way that they operate like Ben was saying the, the two sides of this world, which is hardware and software, I adore their software and uh, and 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 obviously like MacBook Pro, that sort of thing like these are these are like known quantities for a reason right And they're de facto options for a reason and Google has none of that. I mean this is a company that only like two years ago just fully backed out of making tablets right they had it they had an offering and they couldn't keep up and this is at roughly the same time when apple really doubled down on the same concept so there're two yeah. companies that really approach things
2: in very dissimilar ways. Yeah, and and let's be clear. I mean, Google is a gigantic company. This is not like an underdog thing here, you know? I mean, their, <laughs> nope. their market cap's got to be, what, $600 billion? You know, Apple might be at 900 Like, it's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Those are just guesses, by the way. Um, You know, it's <laughs> it's just, it's wild that they haven't figured out the hardware thing. Like, how about you go in and you bring in, you know, Eve Bahar or Mark Newsom, or I guess he's with Apple, but like take some great designer and be like, hey, let's do hardware. Like, mm-hmm. they should be able to figure this out, yeah. you know? Especially because, like some of their hardware,
3: like I, I have Google Home stuff in my place, like that's not bad. It's in, it's unobtrusive. It, you know, it has some qualities that I like about it. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, they lean so hard on essentially being the connective tissue for other brands, other hardware makers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where they might have they might have you know a pretty tough time. Trying to catch up, even
2: after spending this much money on Fitbit. Yeah, I mean, again, it's like two billion dollars to Google, and I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but like it means almost nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like they're going to place this wager. If it works out for them, they get a big cut of a market that's growing. Obviously, if it doesn't, they're not the leader anyway. So whatever, they're, they've lost nothing. You know? Yeah. So if it was if it, if you were if it was
3: left to you to build the twelve month roadmap, what are the few things that you would try to do to not even bridge the gap? But I would say if if we're saying Start that. Over. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. like if, if Fitbit was worth vastly more when they were in the IPO than when they sold, which yeah. was some a, and a factor I didn't pay attention to, um, it, but if that's the case, then what do you do to stem the bleeding? Because it's then if they're on the downward motion now, they're on a new, a new theoretically a new a
2: new path. Yeah, I th- I think that the one thing that Fitbit and now Google have really have going for them is like they were kind of there first, and like in, like I never had a Fitbit. But, like, I'm compelled by them because, you know, like, right now I'm wearing the Apple Watch on my right wrist purely for fitness, basically, in you know, health tracking. And, like, I kind of wish it didn't have a screen. Like, I kind of wish it was just, like, a little bit more under the radar, you know, because I'm wearing a Patek on my, on my left wrist. Uh, I think leaning into that world, I think what would really be a, a great idea, they will never be better than Apple at this. Like, they just won't. And, I, and like, I would tell that to their CEO, you know. So, I, like, don't yeah. even try. Yeah, and you know go for the guys and gals that like want the fitness tracking want some sort of health alert or or some even some communication you know component to it but in a really under the radar way and I think you know Apple is is not under the radar in any way like the whole point is that these are easily recognizable you know uh, but I think if you know if Fitbit came out with a product that did everything that Apple does from a health perspective and was smaller and like basically a, a bracelet you know really just looked like a bracelet I, I would buy it and use it every day
1: yeah, I mean the, the
3: there yeah, is am be...
2: I'm,
1: I'm, I'm in the same boat in, a, an apple watch bracelet is basically what i want
2: right
3: and so i mean uh, there's a proof of concept there which is a product i used for a couple of years uh, previous to my full-time existence in this world oh, I wor-
2: you existed before hodinky <laughs> a little bit okay. um,
3: um so pre previous to when this was my living i worked somewhere where you weren't even allowed to have your phone on your desk huh. and i don't really like a smartwatch. i want to have like an actual watch on, on my left wrist but yeah. i did find this company and this is a uh a Chinese company called Chow Mi, they make something called the Mi Band. It's now in its fourth or fifth generation. And it looks like um, it's it's just a rubber band, essentially, that would, I, would, I would say it's maybe one half the width of a of a iPhone band. Mm-hmm. And it has a little screen and it also has a vibration motor in it. So you can turn the screen off entirely and you get your notifications via the motor. It does all your fitness tracking, but it's almost weightless. You could wear it next to a watch if you wanted to. So, I mean, the proof of concept is there. That's obviously from another... Um, Huge player in the Android side of the space with Xiaomi, but uh, I I, I always liked that functionality until I got to the point where my job is largely having my phone in my hand and looking at it. So uh, that is largely your mm -hmm. job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm good. I mean, I'm good at that part of it. You're super (laughs) good at that. Yeah,
1: big phone. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So last thing I want to talk about today. uh, Again, we're going to swing back in the other direction toward towards sort of fine watchmaking, which is. Our colleague, Mr. John Buse, um, uh, published an in-depth review of the Vacheron Constantin yep. Overseas yeah. Uh, which is a watch that, uh, it's kind of a funny one in that I feel like we all saw it at SIHH and all had the same reaction, which was, I shouldn't like this, but I really like this. yeah. Uh, and I wanted to figure out why. Like, why is this a watch? How did Vacheron somehow convince all of us that, like, a slightly big, slightly in your face, sporty Turbion is like something we're kind of into.
3: I mean, uh, on the other side of that, like it doesn't do that much for me, <laughs> really, especially when like the perpetual is a watch that I just adore. Yeah, perpetual and that, is that is ultra thin okay. and solid gold with, and they also at the same, I believe, at a that's where they introduced the gold bracelet for it. Yep, yep, so you can now go. Full gold and an ultra thin with the QP and yeah. what I think is like an absolutely gorgeous watch. I, I love killing. the overseas format. I like their twin timer. I love that one of one piece they made with Corey Richards and Which titanium. You, you'll be able to
2: buy it Phillips.
3: It's going for sale. I missed that yeah. oh, for charity. Okay. Uh, oh yeah, at,
2: at the the New York sale. So this December it'll be it'll be available.
3: Somehow I missed that. Really cool watch. I you know I had a chance to um, interview Corey for uh, Grenado and hold that watch and play with it and and to see a brand so synonymous with dress watches and yeah. high watchmaking make something kind of sporty's cool. As far as the tourbillon goes, I feel the same about that tourbillon as I do about, um, essentially all non grubal
2: 4Z tourbillons. So just, it's a shrug. Yeah, I get it. All right. I get it. I all mean, right. I think, you know, I, this is compelling to me. would I, Would I buy one right now? Probably not. But I I think what what Vacheron has really started to figure out is like they're playing in they're playing the same game that AP has been playing all along, or at least for the past five ten years. You know, like they're they're playing the game where like hey we're gonna make a fuck you watch. It's gonna be steel. You can wear it every day, but like there's gonna be a tourbillon and like a nice one. You know, yeah, peripheral rotor, peripheral rotor, and that's what we, we talked about in in another episode about the GPHG. Like this, in many ways, is a I won't say vastly, but it is a superior movement technically to the AP tourbillon. So APs are hand-wound. It's That movement's been around for as long as I've been around, basically. It's great. Don't get me wrong. But this Vacheron movement is is more interesting. And again, these are everyday watches. Like, you kind of want to have automatic winding on this. For sure. And to be able to see through the aperture of the tourbillon without the rotor getting in the way is actually like, okay. Like, they thought about that. So they did peripheral rotor. A little bit bigger than I would have liked, but that, that kind of is what it is. I mean, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, I would also choose the Perpetual. But I think that there is a, a big market for this, and I know for a fact. I mean, Vacheron has told us that that watch in particular is basically sold out everywhere, and we're talking a hundred thousand plus for a steel watch. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think you know the overseas is really starting to sing. Like it's really become it's really coming into its own. Yeah. Um, obviously, with Odysseus and the Chopard thing, and there's there's so many alternatives now to the Royal Oak and the uh, what's the other one? Nautilus. Nautilus. That's right. That thing. Uh, that, that thing. thing. That old thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, that whole thing. And uh, and you know I I think the most. Logical step for anybody that either can't get or doesn't want to get an AP or a paddock is Vacheron. Yeah, uh, you know, th- there's real authenticity there. That you know, the 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 two 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 followed up by the overseas. I mean, this is that's a it's a real brand and a real line. And like you know, they're, they're really starting to nail it. I think.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think I'm I'm probably in the same boat as as you guys too. Where if I was spending my money, I think I'm going uh, gold perpetual. Mm-hmm. But this watch, specifically on a rubber strap, the tourbillon cool. on the rubber strap to yeah. me is. It's, it's it's a strong it's yeah. a low key strong move
2: yeah. No, I agree. Look, I, I think the overseas has a lot of killers out there. I don't even know if they still make it, but for a long time, they made a white gold version of the perpetual calendar on bracelet. Yeah, that's a badass thing. I re- yeah. that And they also made it time only. Uh, I I really, really loved when they were doing that. These super under the radar, like, you know, it would look like it's steel, but it's white gold, which, you know, I love. And uh, it's the perpetual based on the, you know, the 2120, but their own, you know, own perpetual mechanism. And like in many ways, you know, I, I have an AP perpetual that I love. I wore it yesterday. But I think the the overseas is just like I would be more interested in talking to somebody wearing an overseas than a Royal Oak at this point for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's there is something about that about the overseas where you see somebody wearing it and you know they're interesting. Like yeah, it, you're you're not just like some schmo who made some money and walked into the Vacheron boutique and was like, oh, I'll take that overseas uh, perpetual calendar. Yeah. Like you have to be like an you interesting know. person. Yeah, there's kind a path like,
3: that brings you to that
2: watch. Right, yeah.
1: right. You have to be into it. You have to kind of know what you're doing a little bit.
2: Yeah, and I think it just like it also says like there's some pragmatism in that person. It's like like why would you know realistically, the majority of people that wear any AP or 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 any Royal Oak rather or or Nautilus like they're not paying retail. You know, if you if you can do it, great. You know, but most people are not doing that. They're just like there's too much money in this world, and they just buy it at double list or whatever. And like that's silly when you compare things objectively. Like remove the names from the dial and just compare an Overseas to a Nautilus like they're the same, the Vacheron might be better. Like It's for sure not the other way around in terms of quality we're talking here. Yeah. Uh, and so you're just like, all right, like this guy like, cares more about like, potentially watchmaking and livability because, as you said, you get three strap options with this uh, for the same price at, at, at the other guys at retail. Yeah.
1: Awesome, guys. Thanks for doing this. Good to sit down and chat. We're uh, done. We're already done. I'm going to uh, go get on a plane to Geneva.
2: Dude, I blocked my entire afternoon for this well see he can leave we we'll just get keep gone. talking Wait, you talk about
1: should i get you guys a six-pack
2: steven sucks
3: yeah. yeah
1: all right fine all right that's it you guys are off the show well, there it is right, just done.
3: like that no longer yeah. vip platinums
1: there we go up next we've got my chat with my old friend and the creative director of drake's mr michael hill
0: Thanks so much for joining us. Good to see you. Great to see you, Stephen. Thank you for for having me. So so nice to be in the, in the, your new wonderful offices. Yeah, it's uh it's pretty good here. Amazing. Pretty good here. It's, what a spot. Uh,
1: especially it's chilly outside, sun's out. It's kind of nice and bright and warm in here. It's, Amazing. Uh, no no complaints.
0: I, I uh, can't I can't work out whether it feels like you've been here forever or you've just moved in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've I mean you've been a part of the Hodinkee
1: story since. I mean, back since I guess what we were when we were in the WeWork when it
0: was two of us exactly. in, in the little the little closet. There we go. Exactly. Back I, feels like uh, feels like a lifetime ago. It really does. It really does. I mean, that
1: was like I guess summer twenty twelve. Was so it? God, it's hard to believe that was like
0: seven and a half yeah. years ago. But no, uh, I mean, I, I remember you swinging by the old factory when we were when we were the other side of the old street roundabout in London, just yeah. uh, in, in Garrett Street. Yeah,
1: um, that was uh that was pre-Hodinky days for me. Was uh, it? Yeah, that was pre-Hodinky cuz yeah, we've yeah, I guess we've known each other, yeah, since probably maybe a a year, two years before I joined yeah. uh, joined Hodinky and then came on board and, you know, we did the
0: first the first ever Hodinky collaboration was uh Hodinky and Drake's. Fantastic. Yeah, those ties. Exactly. No, it's so nice thinking back to that stuff and and uh you know, that was one of those things. It was very easy. I you it was know, super you, you were you were into it and yeah. you know, and, and we we uh obviously big big fans of what you guys do. Yeah, so it, it came together really easily. And
1: uh, Yeah, it uh I remember we we like we decided we wanted to do some ties and we talked about it. And you know, Ben and I obviously are both and have always been big big Drake's fans. And we were kind of like, okay, what do we do? Like, how do we how do we make this feel organic? How do we make this feel real? And, you know, it was one of those things where just on, like, a random, like, Sunday night, I can't remember what what I was doing, Ben and I got talking, and we were like, wait a minute, vintage Rolex, like, obviously, like, <laughs> duh, like, there's already dots on them, like, a perfect, let's go. do these knit ties, it's perfect, exactly. it's already there, it's been staring at us the totally. whole time, totally. and, uh, yeah, I think we did, what, 50-50 each in two different colors, yeah. and and a quick sellout as far as I recall super quick sellout and uh, you know those I, I remember that was the first moment where we were like maybe we need a bigger office <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> when those first boxes of ties arrived with the packaging and everything and we we legitimately just like didn't have space for it in completely. our tiny little we Uh completely and that's when we had to like we had to move into a bigger yeah. space because we we just like couldn't ship the stuff out of there and <laughs> at the time we were hand, hand packing everything I, I mean our shop team now still hand handpacks everything but uh this this was a case where like ben and i were like sitting on the floor in the hallway handpacking ties (laughs) and uh it was fun it was at look
0: look at you guys now it's it's, amazing it's it's,
1: it's a good thing but it's it's good that it it started there and it's you know essentially
0: making cool stuff with friends
1: exactly exactly
0: and so nice to you know we're just around the corner on crosby and broom literally a minute away how funny is that yep it's uh it all all works out right (laughs) (laughs) stick together yeah exactly
1: (laughs) But uh, I, I want to get into your history with Drakes because mm. you have you have a really interesting connection to the to the brand. So, can you tell us a little bit about your sort of like long standing connection yeah, with, sure. this, with this company? I, mean,
0: I, I suppose it does feel for me like it, it all started a long time ago. Um, you know, it's it sort of it, it feels like it's always been a part of my life. Really, um, mm. you know the the, the first Drakes ties were were made uh, were made in my father's factory uh, in London. Uh, He was a tie maker and, um, you know, and I used to spend a lot of time in the factory, um, with my old man. He used to go up to, up to London to the, to his workshop every, every weekend, um, certainly every Saturday. And I would often go with him and I love being kind of in and around that environment surrounded by beautiful textiles. And, um, so I somewhat, I suppose, you know, grew up on, on the factory floor. Um, and I guess it, it, you know, it just sort of seeps in, um, dad left the business. Um, Michael Drake carried on with the business. I wanted to get into the business having, having, uh, I suppose during my time at, at fashion school and, and on graduating, I, I, I knew that was the, the career that, uh, I wanted to pursue. And, um, and I suppose I, you know, the reason I knew of Michael Drake was because, you know, I'd spent time in the factory as a boy. And mm. because it's such a niche world, I suppose, yeah. or certainly, you know, at, you know, it still is. But it, at the time, you know, Drake's was a wonderful business, um, but it was very much manufacturing and wholesale. So unless you were sort of connected to that world or a wholesale customer... You wouldn't have known, but of course, to me, it was sort of front and center because that mm. had always been my world. So, I was, um, you know, I was, I was, I was working on Savile Row, and, and Michael Drake used to make ties for the likes of Huntsman, Anderson, Shepard, some some great established names. Yeah, and, and we occasionally would bump into each other. And so, I suppose when he was looking for somebody to join him, um, you know, he knew that it it was it would be a tricky role to fill, given he wanted someone who could both work with him on the, on the sourcing side, on the creation and design side of the product, as well as kind of going around the world, you know, working with various wholesale customers, selling it into different markets. And yeah. and I guess he felt that given I'd, I'd had a bit of an insight into that growing up, I might, I might be the sort of the strange fit that might work. And yeah. hopefully, you know, that, that sort of that proved to be the case. And that was now, God, I guess sort of 16, 17 years ago. Wow. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and the men's world was
1: a, it was a really different place back then.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, it, it. You know, it's. You're. You're when you're in it. It's. It's funny. It. I suppose it feels normal. It feels like that's. You know how it's supposed to be. Um, the internet hadn't. Well, I guess it. It was. It was very much in the embryonic stages in yeah. terms of what it can do for a. You know, businesses like ours. Um, and and the same social media part of it hadn't even started. Mm-hmm. So. You know, we we sort of very much just had our heads down, you know, creating what we felt was was great product and 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 trying to work with with others to help us to market that and sell that. We didn't have a direct um, link to the to the consumer, and so when that opened up for us, I suppose it changed the game in terms of what might be possible. Um, going forward. So, and, and that of course has just meant that, uh, you know, things have changed fast and, but, but I always felt I wasn't scared by that. Um, and I don't, hopefully that doesn't come across as, as something arrogant. I I felt we had a, we had a great product and if we could tell our story and get out there and make, you know, products that we really believed in, um, slowly bit by bit, you know, people would come and we'd be able to, you know, start building something, and, mm-hmm. and 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 thankfully, you know, we're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think to say "still alive" is is
1: in, in a sort of like classic British sense. I think you're uh, you're, you're underselling yourself a little bit. But uh... <laughs> and now, I'll we'll look at this week's sponsor. It's hard to believe looking back, but in 1968, there wasn't a single self-winding chronograph wristwatch on the market. Just a year later though, in 1969, Hoyer would unveil the Monaco and change the history of sport watches forever. With its square case, blue dial, and left-handed crown, the Monaco looked unlike any watch that came before it. The design put legibility front and center, and under the hood was the innovative Caliber 11 movement, which was among the very first self-winding chronograph movements ever made. It was a practical watch for men of style, and today it's one of the most instantly recognizable watches of all time. To celebrate its 50th birthday, Tag Heuer has released a collection of five limited edition Monacos, each inspired by one of the decades since 1969. While the colors and designs range from an understated green and silver to a bold red and white, all five stay true to the watch's original character and are powered by a revamped version of the legendary Caliber 11. If you want to wear the past, present, and future of racing chronographs on your wrist, these limited editions are just what you've been looking for. For more about the Monaco Limited Editions and the watch's 50th anniversary, visit taghoyer.com. All right, let's get back to the show. You started kind of revamping things and and rethinking things at a time that's this kind of like moment that we we end up talking about a lot on this show with, with people, which is that era where like the internet... And men's clothing and sort of, like, that enthusiasm all kind of, like, met at the same yeah. time in the, the, like, early to mid-2000s. Yep, uh, exactly. And it was that, like, hashtag menswear era. Absolutely. Uh, and, and you guys really quickly kind of emerged as as a sort of leader and a sort of, like, style yeah. setter, I guess, in, in that sure. era. Sure. No, um,
0: absolutely. I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting one that I, I you know, I don't feel... I don't feel like we were looking, how aware were we? I, there were probably others around me possibly who were much more aware of it than I was. Mm. You know, I, I thought it was a case of, you know, do our thing well, crack on with that. There were so many opportunities out there for us in in terms of what we felt we could put together in terms of great product as we saw it. And we just thought, if we crack on with that, um, hopefully they w- they would come and and but but I think maybe when you're starting like that and and you're believing in what you're doing and you've got a team that 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 believes in that as well uh, it it radiates and it and mm-hmm. it maybe maybe it wasn't too contrived and I think yeah. that's probably a good thing especially coinciding with that time you, you, you yeah. kind of, it wasn't good to come across like you'd thought it through too much and True. and I think also you know we always wanted to be um I suppose very inclusive as a business we you know we wanted the door to be open to everybody and we really did feel that we didn't want anything about our business to be intimidating it should be you know just you know even if you can't uh, you know afford to buy it or it's you know something that comes you know down the line it's it's you know, we we wanted everyone to be a part of that, and I'm yeah. not for a minute saying we did everything perfectly at all. But it, um, but that was, I think, that the mindset and hopefully that attitude, um, you know, help, helped us. Yeah. No, I think I think that openness permeated not just the the
1: products and the marketing, but also sort of your approach and, and Michael Drake's approach back in the day as well. I mean, I, I met Michael. I guess I was maybe nineteen or twenty, uh, and writing for think. like a menswear blog. Absolutely. You know, I had my my blog, and then if I wrote for a few other people's yeah. blogs while I was in school, and you know, I remember visiting that factory, and Michael, <laughs> Michael must have given me three hours, four <laughs> hours, Absolutely. you know, and on, on a working day, the Absolutely. factory's in 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 full production, totally. and the ability to to go
0: in like that totally. and really experience yeah. that is, you know, and he would have just bolted those hours onto the end of his day and just and being grateful for the opportunity, frankly, to, to kind of, you know, be the person that can, you know, have a voice, you know, for the factory and be the, you know, we're lucky to be in that position where we can, um, you know, communicate that, that story. And, um, and I think, um, you know, we've, 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 we're very conscious of that. It feels, you know, we feel lucky to be in this position and we, and we love what we do and, and, uh, and you know that's not everybody can say that. Mm. You know it's 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 tough. It's uh, yeah, you know for sure. It, yeah, it ta- it's it's taken a lot of work. Um, but we, you know, we love what we do. I think the the ingredients are good. I think uh, you know certainly not going to sit here and say what we do is the best in the world. Uh, you know we. We feel that, we, you know, we don't make compromises and we love what we do. We work with amazing suppliers on the yarn side, on the knitting, on the weaving, on the printing. So, and, and that goes back since we started and we've got two of our own factories. We make our own shirts, we make our own ties. You know, I would I would hope the ingredients are good. And if the ingredients are good, then uh, you've got this hopefully something real in the business, in the brand. And, we, and therefore, you know, there's something, I think, you know, with the way the world is today touching on, on what you just referred to Stephen you, you know we've got to have something real in in something that adds up um that makes sense it's got to be it's got to be credible there's got to be integrity there and and I think if that is there then that resonates with the customer with our customer and it gives you an opportunity to 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 stay in the game for the for the long term which is yeah. you know what it's all about for us
1: yeah no i mean that that makes a lot of sense to me and and one of the things i think you guys do really well is this idea of sort of tailoring and and sort of the uh, sartorial approach to dressing um but done in a way that feels relevant and modern and kind of approachable yeah. um you know the it's okay to wear a suit that's cotton and has absolutely. some wrinkles in it and absolutely if you want to pull the jacket off and throw a, you know, cable knit sweater over it or, you know, experiment with some bright colors or, you know, it's, it's, it's the kind of clothing where, you know, I was talking to somebody, you guys had an event here in New York the other night, uh, for the, the collection you just launched with the rake. Yeah. Uh, and I was talking to somebody at the event and we were saying that it's nice that you can wear a Drake suit to the bar with your friends. <laughs> like you can, you can go Absolutely. have a beer
0: in a suit Socially. and not
1: look out of place. Socially. It's part of, uh,
0: part of life. It's, you it's know, cool. you want to be comfortable and exactly. It's cool. That's a cool yeah, thing. It's nice when it goes, I think it goes from your work environment or, or if it's the other way around, you want to be really casual at work and maybe you want to put a suit on in the evening. That's, yeah. you know, that's, that's definitely, you know, part of who our customer is and that's great. Yeah. Um, no, I think, um, you know, it, it, in a way, it's, I think it's great that it's gone that way. It, it's, you know, it's less of a uniform that it was. So arguably there's more options. And if there's more options, maybe it's, it's easier to go wrong. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we're not being too, we're not trying to be overly prescriptive about it. Um, yeah. We're not the only ones who, w- with the answer, um, but we're very happy to make our suggestions. And, and I think, we, we, you know, there's, there can be a, you know, plurality, you know, within that. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, uh, you know, and we see that with our guys in, in the store, they will, they put it together in their own way, in a different way. And, uh, yeah, hopefully that does kind of make it approachable and and not intimidating. And, um, you know, long, long may that, that continue. And, and I think, <laughs> you know, a lot of that comes from, um, when I sort of try to distill it down, it's, it's, yeah. you know, we, I think we feel like we, we're close to the market. We... You know, we enjoy. I've just come from having a look at two great stores. I've just been to see Agesha's uh, business, um, Stoffer, uh, around the corner, and yeah. I went to uh, Antonio Chongoli's uh, new place, uh, 18 East. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 that's um, you know that's inspiring. It's different from what we do, but it's great. And and yeah. I think and we appreciate that. So Which I think we're close to the product and we're close to the market, and and that helps us to. You know, to you know, we do what we do, but we're interested in what's out there, and we've, you know, we've been over here this week launching something, you know, with our with our new friends at Amy Leon Dore, and that's that's another kind of different take on who we are and what we do, but you know, equally exciting.
1: Yeah, that's something I wanted I wanted to talk about. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Because I, I think anybody who knows Amy Leon Dore is is gonna think, wait, what? Like Drake yeah. and, and them no. is. uh it's a very different look it's it's a very totally. different approach it is but, uh it's cool to see yeah. two brands
0: like that working together totally and again it was you know that was easy um Teddy reached out and and I think uh, you know he'd been a customer and and Teddy's the the founder right yep, yeah exactly and we dressed him for his wedding and and I think um you know he's he's doing his own thing which is different from what we're doing um, and I think he liked he liked the kind of I guess it's funny. We're often sort of looking at how how we can, not for the sake of it, but because it's it, it makes sense to us to 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 look at how we can be casual with our formal wear. And I suppose mm-hmm. it was interesting that, that that Teddy's angle was more, if I'm not putting words in his mouth, was more a case of well, you know, I'm 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 interested in the sartorial thing and how that can kind of fold into what we do. Um, and and it was actually it was very refreshing just to you know we we. We worked on the design side, but actually then at a certain point to kind of hand it over and then look at how they put it together and styled it. And for someone to show us our world in a very different light, um, in a way that I personally wouldn't have put together just because I'm, I'm, I'm so, I am in, in the Drake's world. Yeah. But so seeing that I thought was brilliant. And I, and it, my instant reaction, you know, both when he. You know when he when he approached us and then and then when I when I saw the imagery of you know how they styled it I just I was just instantly excited I I, I didn't think it through too much um, I know doing something like that can be potentially somewhat arresting for a certain customer I, I get that and 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 maybe that goes against my point of you know we certainly don't want to alienate anybody it's yeah. it, and and we're not. Uh, it, but it's uh, you know I, th- I think it's coming from a good place we were sort of both challenging each other having fun with it putting it in a different context and and hopefully just showing a fresh proposal and i think that's you know that it's just supposed to be you know lighthearted and but but underneath it all you know good serious product that's that you can wear and that will yeah. last and that's you know yeah. Great, yeah, great. It's cool wardrobe. to see the
1: the suits, the sport coats, but then styled with the sweatsuits. Absolutely. Uh, which the idea of a sweatsuit with the sort of like Drake's Moogle print yeah. reinterpreted <laughs> as, as embroidery Completely. is it's crazy. Yeah. It's awesome. And uh, we kinda
0: we and and we were sort of quietly hoping for that. yeah it's, I guess in the collection this season, in the Drake's collection, we've done a um we've done a three-quarter zip uh, top. Uh, which we made out of Casentino cloth, and maybe it's that's so, a sort of slight, so cool, <laughs> slightly <laughs> similar philosophy. We, again, we were having a little bit of fun with it. It's yeah. the, you know this great cloth that you know has, I suppose, over the last ten years or so, it's become quite a sartorial go-to yeah. cloth. And so again, you know, putting that in a completely different context, it's it's fun and it's and, and yeah, it's, and, it's, it's a, a good
1: thing. It's good to like you know, you're clearly like the whole time, people can't see it, but the whole time we've been talking, you have a smile on your face. Like this is, (laughs) this is a fun (laughs) thing, you know? And like totally one of the things that, that I think a lot of guys, you know, my age and, and folks, even like Agesh and Antonio, part of the reason that they're doing the things they're doing is I I think again, not to put words in their mouths, but you know, all, all of these guys who grew up and kind of came of age during this era where, we all got super into clothes. We were all reading about it and discussing mm. it on the internet constantly trying to get photographed at PT Womo, like this this whole thing. <laughs> Speak for yourself. It, all, you yeah, right. it uh, <laughs> I've actually never been to Pity, so I'm, I'm out. Uh, but it all became so serious. And yeah. It all became about like, you know, how, how many stitches per inch exactly. are on the lapel of your jacket exactly. and how, you know, what is the exact composition of yep. the lining of your next suit and like, It just became so technical and so serious and such a a competition that a bunch of people became disillusioned because it stopped being fun. It stopped being about expressing yourself and it stopped being about living your life. And it started being about this like arms race of whose suit could be more complex and more expensive than the next guy's. It gets a bit toxic. It gets really toxic. And, And I think one of the things that Drake's has done a really good job at is like the substance is always there. The quality is always there. But it's fun and it doesn't take itself too seriously. And if you want to do a bright orange Casentino pullover, you can. And like, yeah. is every customer going to want no, that? Exactly. No, but some exactly. will, and, and exactly. they'll have a good time
0: with it. Totally. And when we put it together, we that's exactly kind of how we saw it. Yeah. Um. You know, we had a smile on our face the minute we, you know, we saw we had a vintage garment and we had some cloth and we, you know, they, they weren't in any way related. And, you know, and we said, hang on a minute, what if we? <laughs> and you know and it was kind of you know it was and we were like yeah come on let's let's make a sample yeah. and then you know everyone in in the in the office you know got behind it in the studio and and um and, and and we went for that i mean you know it's it's we take it very seriously we put a lot into what we make and and we're you know proud of of you know oh, the craft very proud but it's just clothes yeah you know yeah so you know um
1: I think another area where you you personally sort of do this really well is, I mean, you're wearing a vintage Tudor sub today, mm. but uh, and you're a swatch guy. I am. You've written am. about it for us before for uh, for the magazine, <laughs> but I think that's another area where like you can enjoy a beautiful vintage Tudor, mm. but you can also Definitely. put on a
0: Absolutely. multicolored swatch totally. and just have fun with it, and 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 maybe quite nice to. you know, put the, put the crazy swatch with a formal suit or put the, you know, I don't know how you want to call it the more serious watch, you know, with something more casual or, you know, it's, you can, you know, it's all possible, I suppose, you know, in in a sense, you know, forget the rules and just go for it. Um, You know, and and I'd I'd probably be wearing a, a, you know, a swatch today if, The problem with this watch is if I, if I take it off, (laughs) it stops. And then because it's, I don't know what you called it. The, um, the special winding mechanism, but I got to go forward a month in order to sort it out. And it's too painful. Yeah. You don't need to deal with that. Exactly. So I just hang in there for as long as I can. It's all right. It looks great. So thank you. Uh, where did your
1: love of swatch Come from because it's it's now there's swatches in the Drake stores yeah. and it's it's kind of become a part of the story exactly. Where, I guess, where does this
0: come from? I suppose a bit like all these things, it definitely goes back to the the childhood thing and yeah. and being at school and you know it was I guess so I was started going to school in eighty five. So what would I be in 85? seven, eight years old? I'm forty one now, and um, I guess it was just one of those things. I went went to a boarding school and when you sort of come back to school you know, after, after the Christmas holidays or something like that. And, you know, and maybe, you know, the kids were given a swatch for, for Christmas and, you know, and everyone had a slight, you know, had something a little bit different mm. and it kind of, you know, it, it was, you know, one of those things that, you know, boys like that kind of thing, you know, what's that one, where does it come from? What's it about? And yeah. and And then you kind of keep hold of it. And all of a sudden, you know it takes you back to a certain period and there's a story there I suppose and mm-hmm. and therefore the, the kind of nos- the nostalgic thing kind of kicks in and and I suppose you know throwing that into the, the sort of the headwind of I suppose that atmosphere if you will that, that you were just referring to Stephen about let's say that whole kind of pity crowd or movement whatever it was a, a, you know that sort of kicked off a good few years ago it's you know, it's just quite nice to sort of, I don't know, not, not disrupt that, but it's, you know, you don't yeah. have to, you know, having a beautiful, you know, ten sixteen. Uh, I think, <laughs> I think that's the only code I know of, uh, of any, but I, but I, <laughs> I love that watch that you're wearing. And, uh, y- you know, you don't, you don't have to have that watch. You no. don't have to aspire to that. You can, you know, do something else. And it, maybe it's, maybe it's a bit dangerous if everybody starts you know aspiring to that and you yeah. know so um yeah it's just it's it's sort of having the the the, the freedom should be there if you want it and yet yeah. if you if you do want the amazing vintage 1016 you know that's okay too
1: yeah i mean i think all you have to do is is look to the the swatch community online and the the seiko community online yeah. to find that some of the most passionate watch collectors on the planet are not that's, collecting yeah, Rolex, they're not collecting Longa, totally. they're not collecting AP, yeah. they're not collecting Paddock, they're collecting hundred dollar swatches yeah. or hundred, two hundred dollar Seiko's. Totally. And they love it. And yeah. they love it so much. Well, and it's, I, yeah. That's a good thing. Actually, you know?
0: I gotta say, about what would it be now? Possibly, I don't know, a year or so ago. For whatever reason, I oh, that was it. I was I was going jogging at the weekends and and I I'd go without anything at all, no headphones, no, no, no music, no watch, no nothing. And I probably at a certain point, I I got a bit competitive with myself and I thought, well, can I get a, do a better time and can I improve on this? And so I thought, oh, and I had this old digital watch, um, but it had run out of battery. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll, let me look into this world of digital watches. Mm. And that led me to a Casio G-Shock. Yep. And so I bought a G-Shock and I didn't think for a minute I was sort of scratching the surface of what might be uh, something, you know, a, a, re- a quite an interesting world. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it, that is something you'll, you'll correct me, but something equally iconic in a very different way. And I, Completely, and I, yeah. I subsequently went to Tokyo I went and I, I wanted a one that was made in Japan and, mm. and now I've I've got it. And I love that G-Shock. And it's great. Yeah. You know? Also, anything that's only available in Japan yeah. is, <laughs> yeah. especially for like nerdy white guys like exactly. us, like that's, that's catnip, exactly. you know? Exactly. But not, you know, not mega expensive, nope. you know. And, um, you know, and something indestructible. There's something rather, uh, yeah. you know, something great about that. So yeah, it, it can kind of go across the board, I think. Yeah. Um,
1: the the sort of like playfulness and the the playing with color that that Swatch does really well is something that I see you know whether it's a conscious influence or an unconscious influence kind of sneaking its, it's a way a in,
0: part of it. into the way Drake's does things yeah yeah it's, it, it, and no it's great question. I I you know I, it's just such a it's 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 a it's a vehicle for um you know for for, for lots of good things yeah and. Um, and and this yeah, it's undoubtedly a part of it. Yeah. Um, it's it's a funny one, you know. I, I won't walk into a swatch shop and and see, you know, I w- I, I won't want every swatch no. in in the store, you know, no. by any means. But it's when you know when you see it and it's right and it's you know the balance is there. Yeah. Um, and the, you know so given given their history, this there's, there's you know there's a lot out there to choose from. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in terms of kind of in a sense sort of how it plays into what we do with our clothing and with our coloring it's you know yeah it's it's great and it's um it's funny the the we work a lot with a, a good friend of mine on the photography side of our business um James Harvey Kelly um, and, and um, we used to hang out in London um, with a with a, uh, another friend of ours Patrick Johnson and, yeah. and I guess I don't know how far I'm going I'm certainly going back. I guess 15 years. And um, we all wore swatches that, I don't know. It just kind of, it just, it's a cool <laughs> you know, thing. we'd meet up, go for a drink. We'd all be wearing a different swatch and it, you know, it just kind of, yeah, it was just, you know, we were, we were all into it. And um, yeah, so it's one of those things now, you know, having, having kids myself and, you know, I'll get home and my boy will, you know, steal whatever's on my wrist, and you know, I I, I kind of enjoy it, and I don't have to worry about it <laughs> if he's not great. taking it's, this. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: it's a nice way that like watches can be a again a fun, lighthearted totally. thing instead of a thing that's all yeah. seriousness and exactly. reference numbers and whatever. Yeah, yeah,
0: no, totally. I mean, you
1: mentioned James, uh, James Harvey Kelly, uh, and he over the last couple of seasons has been been shooting your lookbooks, yeah. and they've become. Sort of this like cult thing in the, yeah, in the menswear yeah. world where like everybody waits for the next yeah, Drake's lookbook. Yeah. How how has that evolved? Cause I know, you know, in the again going back to the the sort of like hashtag menswear mm. days, everything was much more fragmented, right? Yeah. It was about like you'd see an image on Tumblr, it would get reblogged a million times, mm. maybe it showed up on permanent style or or somewhere else. And now I I think people are looking for that like slightly deeper perspective. Yeah. And they want a full lookbook from a brand that they can kind yeah. of like sit down and go through and get a, a sense of that like personality and perspective.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, it's an interesting one because uh, you never want to take the focus away from the product. So, uh, it's so it's you know, and James is great, and, and it's and it's you know, great and easy working together, and that goes back a long way for to when we were, you know, friends. Um, I guess you know when we were when we were both starting. Um, yeah. So neither of us sort of ha- had to think too hard about it. Um, a very kind of you know natural coming together when you i guess when you get each other it's just again there's not too much analysis re- is required it's um it's it's all very straightforward which is great and and um you know and James is a great clothing guy as well it's not just uh but i suppose it's its then goes beyond that as 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 James says himself with photography he's like you know <laughs> when i when I'm busy you know taking the mickey out of him and he's saying well you know, don't get me wrong. I know photography has absolutely nothing to do with photography <laughs> or nothing to do with cameras. <laughs> it's like, and it's kind of, you know, so I think we, of course we want to put out great imagery. Um, you know, we don't want that to overtake the product, the clothing that comes first. That's always got to be the focus, but hopefully in putting it together the way that we are, it's, <sighs> hopefully it's somewhat suggesting that so it's again it's, mm. we're not trying to be too serious with it we are spontaneous spontaneous mm. with it we do kind of on the spot work out what to put with what there yeah. hasn't been weeks and weeks of of analysis that goes into it i think we are pretty instinctive um and intuitive in terms of what we do um and hopefully that comes across and and, yeah. and, and we have fun with it um and we're going to places that either we know or we want to go to. And it's, um, you know, it is, hopefully there's an honesty there. I think maybe that's the point. It's, you know, we 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 you know we started out shooting guys who were our friends. And I guess mm-hmm. we'd continue to do that if we could. But of course, you know, making clothes and samples in a certain size, sometimes of course. they got to fit the model and all the rest. Yep. Um, but I don't think the philosophy has changed. We're still... Mm. Um, you know, going about it in the same way. Um, and no, it's it's been great, you know, seeing James, you know, get more success, um, yeah. you know, in and of his own right. Um, I mean, one of, one of the things, I
1: mean, you've mentioned trust and you've mentioned this idea of spontaneity and this idea of um, honesty. Mm. And all of those things, funnily enough, I, I think are, are amplified by the fact that James only shoots film. So you're shooting these lookbooks. You're making on the spot decisions about kind of how to pair things, how to style things. It's, it's real organic and then it's, it's captured on film. You're not shooting 4,000 digital
0: images with
1: a laptop set up and whatever. You
0: kind of have to just trust that it's going to work out. And it's, of course it'll go wrong one day, but it hasn't so far. And you know, if it goes wrong one day, we'll sort something out. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, that's the way he does it. And I, it just, it feels right to him. It feels right to us. Um, I sometimes liken it to how we, um, how we would print something, for example. You know, we mm. print by hand up on up in Macclesfield, um, die and discharge. Uh, we could print digitally as well. Uh, and, and we do sometimes. But, you know, sometimes the, um, can I say the authentic way of doing it? It, It's, uh, that may well be the wrong word, but it's, um, it takes more time. It's more dirty. It's, uh, it's not something you can correct as you're going along, but you, you, you end up with a finished product that has depth and luster. And I suppose that's, you know, what we'd go for in our imagery and that's what we'd go for in our product. It, it, it makes sense, I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, uh,
1: One of the places where I remember, and maybe now, maybe nobody finds this interesting. Maybe I'm just now taking like a trip down memory Mm. lane for me. But uh, one of the first places I remember that feeling from Drake's was the sort of Cult that evolved around the uh, the unicorn print mm. pocket squares, uh, which for for anybody who was deep in the the menswear Tumblr world in like two thousand eight, probably <laughs> two thousand nine, you know, Dr- Drake's made these these scarves and pocket squares that had this sort of like old, almost medieval print mm. of of unicorns. Yeah, and you all of a sudden had a whole bunch of like twenty something year old guys mm. walking around with scarves and pocket squares that were. Purple and bright red and forest green and all yeah, of these things exactly and they were all unicorns, but it was it had nothing to do with the fact that it was a unicorn it had to do with the fact that they were made in this amazing way and they had this color and this texture to them and they were they were unlike anything that this sort of like hyper polished hyper clean like sort of American fashion
0: world was doing at the time totally and you know it's um I think it's funny how something like that can even though it is different from that, it, yeah. c- it can come in and, you know, it felt right to us. And it, I suppose it probably did because it was different. And that came from yeah. our, our, our ancient matter archive, you know, going back decades and I mean, that will always be good, I mm-hmm. think. And there's always new and different ways of using it and interpreting it and coloring it. And, yeah, you know, and us, uh, it's so, it's so, I don't know what the word is re- rewarding. I suppose when something like that resonates And, 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 and sort of, you know, guys beyond the design studio get it and like it, Um, you know, and it, and also, I think, you know, it comes from somewhere from from us. It's not, you know, invented overnight. It's something we've done for years. And so it's, you know, um, it's, it's come from a good place, I suppose we would, we would say
1: well, one of the things. Speaking of good places, uh, one of the things I, I definitely want to talk about is uh, you guys just made a big move in London. So, mm, yeah. the, the sort of like Drake's, I would say, maybe it's the the flagship store. Can we can we call so. it that? Yeah, uh, was on Clifford Street, mm. uh, and you just moved around the corner. You're now on Savile Row. We
0: are. We that's are. a big. We're, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, and and we we loved and loved Clifford Street, and that's been great for us. Um, we were, we were bursting out. So it, uh, uh, hopefully we haven't bitten off more than we can chew. Um, but, uh, we, we, I suppose, you know, when we started out at Clifford street, we were very much, um, you know, ties and, and pocket squares and, and scarves very, very much kind of centered in that world. And we, we'd started to, to put other products together, but I suppose as those other products have worked for us and, and we've gone beyond Those we haven't really necessarily been able to showcase them as, as uh, I suppose, as well as we would ideally like to. Um, So with the uh, with with the lease renewal coming up, it was an opportunity for us to kind of challenge ourselves and and kind of take the next step, which all feels quite daunting at this place. It's you know it's got to work for us. Um, We haven't even been been open a week, but we've had a had a really nice reaction, a really positive week. So it, it feels, you know, it it feels right now Good. which is funny how you can you can all of a sudden move somewhere and it's very different to what you've what you've had and and admittedly having having been in there for a couple of weeks you know helping to put the place together and then coming here almost immediately so mm-hmm. i haven't I haven't had a chance to to spend any time there whilst we've been open where um, um where on the row are you we are number nine okay so yeah almost halfway down okay uh, on on the on the same we're next to deej skinner same side as uh, Huntsman Henry Poole Norton and Sons Geeves um, I'll say it so you don't have to you're on the good side of the rail. Yeah. it's the <laughs> north side I'll right? take that exactly yeah, yeah. you're on the good side of the rail. Well, yeah well it, you know and I suppose the units that side are a little deeper we have beautiful skylights and yeah, you know a chance to express ourselves a bit more and put, yeah. it, put it together more and, and you know we're not quite finished and that's frustrating being open and not having it but we're almost there the guys are itching to open which you know is is so great that you know they're all behind it and enjoying it's it and, and um and yeah we're, we're ready to go for it and give it a try and it's really exciting um you know we've been able to you know put some art and sculpture and and as I say have the great skylights and fill it with plants and trees and and uh yeah just just express ourselves a bit more and 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 uh you know hopefully hopefully that that resonates and and is a nice kind of blueprint for the for the future going forward mm. is there is there anything
1: that you thought about moving into the realm where you're like okay maybe we need to to maybe there's some things we can learn from the guys around us sure that we can maybe incorporate into Drake's going forward do you do you find that or are you yeah. just trying to keep doing your thing
0: ah oh, I mean certainly the latter no question but I would like to think that the eyes and ears are always open. No question. And and we've got to, um, we've got to learn. And, and I think we'd be, you know, even if it makes what you do even more different to them, mm. it's, it, it has an influence as you try to, you know, make your own path. So I think, yeah, in terms of kind of differentiating yourself and, and doing your own thing, it just, you, you want to do something. I would say that, Um, you know, ensures that what we are doing is as unique as it can be. And, and I'm dare say, you know, they're thinking exactly the same thing. Um, Yeah. I I think it's interesting because, you know, I remember being a a little confused when I, when I (laughs) first, um, when, when I, when I came across Michael Drake as an adult and there he was in his, in his, you know, Drake's tie and Hank and, and, and that was very much you know his his you know he wore it as only he can and that was very much his look and that was very drake's that was drake's of course but you know he'd wear it with a very soft handmade neapolitan suit mm-hmm. and that kind of initially uh, as a as a you know as a 20 year old kid it kind of it, it threw me mm-hmm. i thought hold on this is interesting so you know michael's supplying the best people on savile row and yet he's not wearing a Savile Row not wearing a suit that's handmade on Savile Row how does how does that work and i suppose as i got deeper into what drake's was about and i realized that there was a lot more to it than i initially thought so you know he was working very closely with italians and japanese and americans and there was influence coming very much from an international perspective and he was very keen to show how something uh, you know, very British could work with something, you know, very Neapolitan mm. and put that together. And so put that very, you know, soft, comfortable look together, you know, that of course influenced where we wanted to take our, our ready to wear and our tailoring that, that felt, that felt right. And so, mm. you know, we weren't on, on Savile Row initially, but it, you know, to do something, as I say, you know, very different to what they were doing. I mean, you know, we love what they're doing. It's that There's some amazing companies doing wonderful things. And that's been the case for years. And we absolutely get that we are, you know, the new boys just starting out. Um, and, and, you know, we have to be, uh, you know, very uh, respectful in that regard. And I, and I think we are. But, you know, we, we knew we wanted to do it differently Uh, uh, we had an idea as to how our our take would be and of course you know we see a a, you know a lot more of that kind of soft look around these days but you know it's nice now to be on Savile Row and to be doing that that's you know been our thing and if that if that means you know we're selling a suit on Savile Row the traditional heartland of you know the the great British suit that has you know exported itself all over the world but you know we're doing that in a hopefully in a you know, in our way, in a fresh way that goes on for decades to come, then is hopefully, isn't that a great way of Savile Row continuing going forward and, and yeah. making suits that are relevant for guys for the future when maybe certain guys, you know, wouldn't necessarily want to wear, you know, a very, you know, stiff, smart suit. So, you know, um, yeah. not that that can't look great as well. So No, no, no. That but was, along
1: along those lines, do you, do you think there's anything that, Maybe you guys are doing on the row that that other people can learn from. That you know might spread its way out from from number nine and, and kind of make its way. Whether it's <sighs> style or whether it's its approach or the way you deal with customers, do do you think you can kind of make an impact on this this very
0: old school well, institution? Let's see. I, I uh, it's. <laughs> it's a very good question. It's a, it's, it's a, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm not trying no, to put you on the spot to, no, to it, say anything nasty uh, about anyone no, no, else. No, 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 no. Uh, it's, it's such a good question. And it's, and it's, and it's really interesting. And it, of course it has crossed my mind. Um, because in a sense, Savile Rose has been bigger than any one of its constituent parts. And, and that's brilliant. um, yeah god you know i have to be careful about uh and realistic about you know who we are and where we are as a business right now um and 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 obviously you know keep keep that ego in check um it's uh let's see in time we step by step and and you know i'm not going to say for a minute that we're going to do that and uh but are we are we I think we believe in what we do. We've got great people in the company. They want to do more and go forward and get the best out of themselves, like you know, so many of us do. And we're only going to be able to do that if we can keep moving forward. And that means we've got to challenge ourselves, do great work, build our business, and bit by bit, you know, build on what we've got. And if that takes us, I think that if we if we you know if we are, um, you know, careful and, and realistic and, and, you know, in, in touch with the whole process and very critical of ourselves, which I think we are, then, um, then we, can, we can build something meaningful. And, and we would love to do that. But I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, that, that we're definitely going to do that. You come back and tell me where we've got to in, you know, a little bit down the line. And, you know, and you'll tell me, you'll be the judge of that. Everyone will be not, you know, it's not for me to say. Sounds like you got a plan, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's. I think it's a bit of a balance between. On the one hand, you know, you've you've you want to be, and and I think we are, you know, very spontaneous in in many different respects. But I think there also has to be some sort of a plan. I don't think it's, you know, sort of not fair on you know people who you know join the team if you know I've got to deliver for them just as others in the everyone in the business has to deliver for each other. And, and, uh, you know, so I, I, yes, I would concede that. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect.
1: Well, thanks for, thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure to see you and, uh, yeah, we'll have to, we, we've got some more uh, Drake Sodinky stuff in the works. So uh, hopefully hopefully,
0: we'll have some fun things to show people Great. soon. Well, we're looking forward to that. And thanks so much for having us, Stephen. It's an honor to be here. And uh, good luck with all, all your future endeavors as well. Thank you. Thank you, sir.
1: This week's episode was recorded at Hodinki HQ in New York City and was produced and edited by Grayson Corhonen. Please remember to subscribe and rate the show. It really does make a difference for us. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.